Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. We are starting week two of our mini-series called Plugged In. Plugged In. I don't know why it says unshaken up there, but it's supposed to say plugged in. It's my little cheat screen right there. If you all turn around, that's my cheat screen. Look at that. I got a cheat screen. So in this, here's what we are talking about. We are going through Mark for the fourth time. What we've been doing since January is we've been going back and forth through Mark. We start in chapter 1. And we go to the end, and then we go back to the beginning. Because what we see in Mark are several themes. Discipleship. Jesus dealing with the religious questions that not only the religious leaders were putting pressure on people with the questions, but also the tensions we have with religion. Does anyone have problems with religion? Do I get an amen? Amen. What about a New Jersey amen? There we go, right? You guys know, aha, uh-huh, better than amen. That's messed up. That is messed up. And then we talked about the whole idea of the upside down, that Jesus wants to turn our world right side up. Now what we are talking about is we're talking about what does it mean to be plugged into Jesus? What does life really look like when we are plugged into Jesus? Because we look at this lamp, and yeah, it's, it's fashionable. It's an Amazon lamp, 45 bucks. It's got a little curvature, a, a cool light bulb. But this does nothing unless it's what? Plugged in. Unless it's turned on. The whole purpose for this lamp is to give light. And so what we are doing is last week we started talking about the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ that Christ had and has and that he gives to us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at week two. Now this passage and next week's passage, and this is a little lure to get you to come back next week, is that these are some of the most important passages in my life. They are actually are passages that have shaped every part of not only who I am, but how I lead. So when you think about Steve Jobs, and please, everyone knows the answer. Please say it out loud. When you think about Steve Jobs, what do you equate Steve Jobs with? Apple. Apple, iPhone, right? (laughs) Apple, right? Steve Jobs created Apple. And everything that Steve Jobs poured his life into was to construct not just a computer, but a whole new system that would drive how we use technology. How many Apple lovers in here? Do I get an uh uh-huh? Really? That many Android lovers in here? Wow. Right? So think about this. Les Paul. Anyone know what Les Paul made? What did Les Paul make? The the electric guitar. Let me ask my son. What did Les Paul make? The what? The guitar, right? He plays guitar, right? He's like, he's going to kill me later. So in this, when you think about Les Paul, you had the Strat. You had the Rickenbacker. You had all these guitars back then. But but Les Paul created a guitar that had a certain sound, certain electrics, certain body 
that no other guitar was con constructed or created like the Les Paul. Matter of fact, do you know where Les Paul lived? Mawa. How cool is that? They have a Les Paul museum in Mawa, New Jersey. And Les Paul, Les Paul changed the sound of classic rock. Jimmy Page. What does Jimmy Page play? A Les Paul. Almond Brothers. What do Almond Brothers play? Les Paul. When you think about all the great classic rock guitarists, they all or most of them played a Les Paul. You see, they had a vision, and they were willing to do everything in their power to see that vision to come to fruition. They were willing to go bankrupt. They were willing to throw everything away because they believed in this one thing so much. So why is this imperative? Because when I became a pastor, which I never wanted to be, I never wanted to be a pastor. I knew what pastors were like. I knew what kind of pastor, the, the connotation with, with a pastor was. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. I'll do anything, Jesus, but that. He says, okay, I got a great idea. Why don't you be a pastor? I'm like, thanks, Jesus. You're a lot of fun. And so in that, he gave me vision for what I would want the church to be. And I want you to really think about what do you want from Jesus? What do you want Jesus to speak to you today? Because when I think about if, if I, as I did say to Jesus, like when Jesus said, what do you want the church to look like? I said, this is what I want the church to look like. And I told him what I wanted to look like, and he brought me to Mark chapter 2. And he said, that's exactly what the church is supposed to be. And so what we're going to do is we are going to plug into Jesus today. And my hope is this, that something in your heart is turned on. That you not only want to plug into Jesus individually, but you want to plug into a community that believes in Jesus in this way. Because I believe that God has more for this community than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And if we do and be exactly like we are going to learn in this passage, I'm telling you this, this community is going to be turned right side up, and I will give my life for it. Let's pray. Jesus, every week I just lay my heart on the altar Every week, I actually go home exhausted to the point like Gideon that, that I actually find my place, my, myself in places of insecurity, of just laying it all on the table. And I ask you today for a special move of your presence, that we, the church, would get it. Not get what Rob believes, but get what you have for us. I ask you that you would do something so special in the hearts of everyone here that they would mark this day on their calendar. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you have your tablets, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Otherwise, read with me behind me. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. 
Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right in front of Jesus. So it's the beginning of Mark chapter 2. Come on, bring him up here. This is the tricky part. Don't drop him. Don't drop him. We'll find out if the men in Scripture dropped him or not. Perfect. What's up? How are you? So we're in Mark chapter 2. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. More than likely, it's only about three to four months into his ministry. Because again, he only served ministry for three and a half years. It's fair to say that all of his disciples have not been gathered. He's still gathering his disciples. But everywhere he went, Jesus was doing miraculous things. If you were here last week, we learned that Jesus taught with great authority. That people were like, wow, this is crazy. And then last week we learned that Jesus like cast out evil spirits. Like, do we believe that? Do we believe that evil is even around today? And now Jesus is back, it says, in his hometown. It was his landing place. It was a place for him to find some R&R, some rest. I actually wonder if this was Peter's house because Peter lived in Capernaum. And so we would see that Peter would, find, would go to Capernaum and Jesus would always go to special places, places that he thought he could get away from the crowd. And so while he was there, word of him spread. Why? Because he taught differently. Why? Because healings were happening all around him. And so as he was there teaching, some men had found out that Jesus was in town. And they had a friend, someone they loved very, very much. Someone they cared about so much, and they were so tired of seeing their friend be caught in their situation that they said, it's time now. We have the one who can heal him. Now remember this. In biblical times, we have no idea how old this individual was, but he was a man which means that he was above the age that he would have already gone through his bar mitzvah, which means that there was responsibilities for him to live out. But he couldn't. And so here it was sad. When a young man hit bar mitzvah and was now considered a grown man, here's what they would do. If their child was blind or lame, every single morning they would carry him to a certain part of the town near the temple to beg for money because they couldn't work. And the family was embarrassed. How many of you have ever watched The Chosen? Anyone watch The Chosen? Right? The Chosen. I want to really encourage you to watch it. They give, they give some real good depiction of what this looks like. And so every day, this young man would be brought to a certain part near the temple, and his whole life was begging for his money. And I think about this. 
there was a moment that these four men knew what Jesus was doing. And this is the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And they said, we found the one who can restore our buddy. We found the one. And I bet you more than anything, they convinced him to go with them. We have no idea how far they traveled. All we know is that four friends grabbed the mats on different sides. They lifted him up and they brought him to the house where Jesus was. But there was a problem. The house was fully packed. Let me ask you a question. To what extent would you ever go to to see someone be made whole? To what extent? At what point do you give up on people? At what point have people given up on you? Have you gotten to a point where you said, I've done everything I can from you, just don't answer the phone? Right? Do I get an uh-huh? Because we've all done that. And when they showed up to the house, the house was packed. It says Jesus was teaching. He wasn't healing. He wasn't delivering. He was sitting on a stool because that's what a good rabbi would do. He was sitting on a stool and he was teaching the people. It was so packed that there was nowhere to sit. It was so packed that people were sitting in the window seals. It was so packed that when the friends showed up, they had a decision. Tomorrow. Or now. And they decided now. Church, it's time that we start deciding now. That we are going to go to every single length to allow Jesus to be present in each other's life. And so this is what they did. They said, let's get them on the roof. It's a temporary roof. Let's rip the roof off. Hey, you and you go find rope. Go grab some rope. Meet me on top of the roof. And they got there. They brought their friend up the roof, up this narrow stairwell. They tied probably four corners to the mat, and they lowered him down. Imagine right now if this room was so packed that someone tied someone to a wheelchair, and they lowered them down from the balcony. Well, that's unsafe. Really? Sometimes the safest thing to do is be unsafe. Do you know that? We live in a world where we love that. That's unsafe. That's unsafe. That's unsafe. That's unsafe. Sometimes the most important thing you can do in this life is the most unsafe thing that people think. And so these friends said, we're doing it. And they ripped the roof. And there's Jesus teaching. And everyone's thinking, is an earthquake? Is the world coming to an end? Did something happen? And the roof is just falling and falling and falling on top of everybody. And I could just see Jesus start cracking up. <laughs> they get it. They get it. These dudes get it. And I could just see, like, people are probably like, why is Jesus smiling? What's with his smirk? Imagine what he was going through. And he knew something divine was going to happen. Let's continue in the passage. I'm going to make you lay here this whole service. Last time I let the other guy go, you're staying right there. <laughs> See their faith. Seeing their faith. Underline that. Seeing their faith. The man's faith? The friend's faith? Whose faith? I actually believe it was the friend's faith. I don't think it was the guy's faith. He's probably been to the pool of Bethesda. He's probably gone to all the doctors. He's probably tried every like, like ancient trick. And he's probably like, seriously, one time, and now you're going to humiliate me in front of everybody? 
like, nah, man, he's got this. He's got this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, little time out. I could see Jesus' smirk when they were lowering him. And then I can feel Jesus' anger as he turns to them. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, and James, you can leave after this. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man stood up. Oh, no, no, matter of fact, let me make you stay, because the last part's even better. My third point's even better. So Jesus, stay right here. So Jesus speaks to him. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, I'm going to get to that in a moment. But there's a conflict. There was a tension. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was very clear. He turned to them and said, What's easier? Telling him, Get up, pick up your mat, or go home, or saying, Your sins are forgiven. So let me ask you, what was Jesus doing in the house? He was teaching. He specifically went to the house to teach. And as he was teaching, God had a divine encounter being prepared to allow orthodoxy, what Jesus believes to be true of God and himself, to become orthopraxy, which means his theology being worked out in the right here and now. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Why did he say this? Because ancient biblical times, in the confusion of Scripture, there were very there were three there were two misinterpretations. One, there's some truth to it, but it's still misinterpretation. He did something. He did something. In the womb, as a baby, as a child, your fault, your fault. And if you've ever known someone. Who's battled with something. There's always this tension. What did I do? That's a lot. Now, yes, if you go out and you're drinking and driving and you hit your car into a telephone pole and you become paralyzed, yes, sometimes we have consequences for our actions. Do I get an uh-huh? Right? We all have consequences for all of our actions. We have no idea what happened to this guy. And if it did, is Jesus' words about to shift his soul? Even if he did something, is, God, is, is Jesus about to shift his soul? But we have no idea. There's another thing. The parents did something. And so these parents 
for however, let's call him 22 years old, for 22 years have been believing the lie, it's our fault. And all along, these religious leaders have been saying, your fault for this. Not for him, for this. Because the him became a this when he turned 16. He was no good to society anymore. He was useless. And that's how people feel. When they cannot participate, that's what they feel. They feel more like an it than who they really are. And that's a lie. But then there's a truth. You see, when Jesus came, he came for a reason. To destroy the powers of sin and death. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin corrupted the earth. We were never created to have broken bodies. We were never created to have distorted minds. We were never created for our emotions to be so entangled in a way that we live in a place of anxiety and fear and depression. We were never created that way. Everything that has happened to us is because of sin. And because of sin, we have sickness and death. And so our bodies, when we are created in our mother's wombs, sometimes things happen. Chromosomes, different things happen. Things are, are just genetically passed on to us. And it is a pain, and I will even use the word shame when this happens. If you've ever had a child that has a genetic disease, as a parent, you're thinking like, dude, this is my fault. You're carrying what I put in you. That's just brokenness. That's that sin and death. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you right now that I am more powerful than sin, and I am more powerful than death, and I'm more powerful than this created, distorted, eco-world that we live in, even to the bones of humanity. And he says, get up. Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go. You see, this is what we know about Jesus, is that there's four aspects of Christ Savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. The only way to eternity is through Jesus. That's what we believe. That's the theology that we hold to. And it's not only a theology, it's an orthopraxy. It's an orthopraxy. It's how we live our lives. Sanctification. Jesus is my sanctifier. Because of Jesus, I'm given. You are given. James is given the Holy Spirit. That he will transform your mind so that you will know and approve of God's good and pleasing will. Jesus is coming king. No matter how destructive this world becomes, Jesus is coming back. You ain't stopping him. If you don't believe it, he's like, so what? I'm doing it. I'm coming. But he's also healer. And why does Jesus heal? And I know healing is the creepiest of all. Do I get an aha? Uh -huh? And I'll tell you why. Because we're more concerned that he won't. We're more concerned that he doesn't. We're concerned. And so we don't want to put ourselves or others in that situation. But here's why Christ healed. One, to reveal the Father. Jesus never took credit. He says, I have come to reveal the Father, and the Father has come to destroy the power of sin and death. I've come to reveal him. 
And every time I do something, I only do what the Father tells me to do. So what did Jesus do? He went to go teach. What did Jesus do? The Father prepared an opportunity for the man to be lowered on the mat. And what did Jesus do? He stepped out and he acted on the Father's will. Jesus heals to reveal the role of the Son of God, Messiah, Yeshua. By his stripes, we are healed. Do you know that every time we read that at Easter, too often we just read it kind of tongue-in-cheek, like like Jesus came to be healer, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. Jesus came to heal, and he came to heal because he wanted to show that he is in charge. He is more powerful than sin and death why he said this your sins are forgiven you are no longer bound by the lies or even the actions that keep you in prison no more it's over it's done get up go home jesus heals that we would have a spiritual awakening does healing equal salvation no But when someone is healed, it enlightens their hearts to say, wow, he loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me. And it's made to awaken our hearts. And like scripture, there are times when people have such a healing, they forget, they forgot who touched them. Has Jesus healed you? Emotionally? Physically, relationally? Has he healed you? Does your life look like you've been touched by the living God? Does it, right? I just got a wave, meaning yes. Does our life look like we've been touched by the supernatural power of Jesus? Or do we just basically go to Genie in a bottle and say, hey, do this today. You touched me, you healed me. Great. Oh, you didn't do it tomorrow, the next day. Oh, you didn't do it the next day. Are you saying that, that he has healed me in such a way that I'm forever changed? To reveal his compassion. Jesus weeps. Jesus hates to see a broken world. When we weep, he weeps with us. When we are in pain, the living God is in pain with us. When we are struggling or we are in a prison of our soul, God wants to intervene to meet us in that place. And we actually read in Scripture that Jesus healed so many times, so many times, that you couldn't even write enough books in the whole world to document it all. Man, imagine Amazon every book about Jesus' healing. Every book. Imagine that. Every book. How awesome would that be? Every book. So you see this. Healing was who Jesus is. Christ, the healer. Christ, our healer. You see, when it comes to Jesus, you either believe in him completely or none of him. You can't say he's a good teacher and not believe his miracles. Because if you believe his teachings, 
If you really believe his teachings, you must believe his miracles. Because his, his teachings were so far out there. So far out there that his miracles allowed all of it to come into complete completion. Was he just a good teacher? Everything about Jesus brought, was brought to the fullness of God. Everything. And we're good with him saving. We're good with him sanctifying. We're good with, the, with him being the coming king. But do we believe that he intervenes in our lives? And it's hard. How do we respond? Well, let's see how this man responds, and then James can leave. I think he's sleeping right now. Did I hear you snoring? And the man jumped up. Come on, James, jump up. Just jump on the right side, right side. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to be in the stretcher. Grabbed his mat and walked through the stunned onlookers. And walked through the stunned onlookers. So last week, he had authority to teach. Can you imagine someone was healed? Be like, good job, you guys. Be like, Woo! Right? Right? Imagine if someone was really healed. Let's give him a Jesus clap. No, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Last week, we saw that he taught with authority. Now he stunned everyone with the authority of his power that he even made the lame walk. What was his response? He jumped up, and he grabbed his mat and probably went with all the dust, probably purposely towards the Pharisees. Waka, the speck in the eye. That's what Jesus was talking about. Got him. And I bet you for the first time, and he just pumped up his chest, rolled up the mat, and slowly walked out of the house, one step at a time. The legs that didn't walk, he just moved them. And every step was, Jesus is healer. 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 Jesus is my healer. He's my healer. Orthopraxy, my healer. How do you respond? How do you respond when you, when you, when you hear this message? How do you respond when, when Jesus does something divine in someone else's life? How do you respond? Are you like the four guys over the roof like, woo, woo? High five. And like one like kind of falls out and they grab him by the leg. Like, oh shoot, we don't want Jesus to do another healing. Grab him by the leg. Right? Like, yes. Yes. I knew it. I knew it. I told you three knuckleheads he would do it. Like, like think about this. How do you respond? How do you respond when God does something awesome in someone else's life? How do you? I'm glad it worked for you. It hasn't worked for me. And there's a pressure. And there's a pain. Because if you really believed in Jesus as healer, you know the, the, the narratives of people being healed, but you have the pain that why not yet? Or why not me? 
or why not now? And this is the tension that we live in. If you know our journey, you know that we have battled in our family with with illness and disease. You know that. If you know anything about us, you know how we have, I will say, and I say this very humbly, one of the, to what I would say, the best marriage I could ever dream of. I mean, we work hard at this. We work hard at it. And if you know anything about us, that, that we bring people in like family, you know that we run after Jesus, like we will lower people down to the foot of Jesus. You know that if you know our narrative, we have prayed for people to be healed, and they have been healed. I will say that my wife has fertile hands, meaning she has prayed for many women to become pregnant, and they have become pregnant. And if you don't believe me, there's some babies running around this church right now. I'm not exaggerating. I say that humbly. There have been times that even during COVID, that God's grace brought healing to an individual who had COVID, and they lived. You know that. You know that if you've been part of this church, this body that that we believe in, in, in miracles and healing like crazy, and yet we still wrestle with attention, not yet. So how do we respond? How do we respond when, when, we, when we know it and we believe it and it's in our orthodoxy, but, but God, I want it to be my orthopraxy. We come with expectancy. We come with expectancy. And we also come not only with expectancy, but God has created us to live forever in temporary tents. That there are times that Jesus takes us home. And we almost want want, want Jesus to be like this, this, this vending machine. Heal me again. Heal me again. Heal me again. Heal me again. But why does he heal to get our attention? Why does he heal to show that he is stronger than sin and death? Why does he heal to reveal the Father to humanity? And there's this tension of healing and already and not yet. But one day we know that we are going to be completely whole when we stand before the living God. No more pain, no more sickness, no more ailment, no more nothing. We are going to be perfect before Jesus. And I come with a heart of expectancy. I believe healing is coming in my family. And hell ain't stopping it. Because my heaven's too big. The devil ain't stopping it because my God is too big. And healing is what I'm leaning on. And even when they are healed, there will still be this battle called life. That one day, we will all pass. And that healing is only to awaken us so that we would respond to Jesus. So one day we don't have to worry about sickness or pain or sorrow or anxiety or depression. Christ is our healer. And I'll go down swinging. You could put a gun to my head. Is Jesus your healer? He is my healer. He has healed me. He has healed me emotionally. 
He has healed me spiritually. He has done healing in people's lives that are literally straight out of the word of God. And he's going to do it again. So why is this your vision? Because the church is supposed to be a healing community. It's not robbed hands. It's Jesus' presence amongst us. In my vision as a pastor, I said, I will only be a pastor if you allow me to pastor a healing community because I ain't wasting my life playing church because church is boring and church is filled with egotistical maniacs. Church is filled with way too much religiosity that we think we're perfect and they're bad. Because when you are part of a healing community, you see everyone's brokenness because you recognize your brokenness and you say, whatever Jesus has done in me, he wants to do for everybody else. Everybody's welcome. But we must be open to transformation. That's the gospel. We just don't welcome people and say, just stay where you are. This is comfortable in your disruption. In your confusion, just stay right where you are. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a community of people saying, we are trusting, we are leaning, we are connecting with the power of Jesus to bring transformation in each of our lives. That's the gospel. And yet we don't hear about it ever. Why? Because we allow our egos to get in the way of what Jesus wants to do in our life. This is what a healing community is. A healing community seeks healing by allowing authenticity to flourish, creating self, creating safe environments of acceptance, forgiveness, and hope. Founded on the overwhelming love of God through the tangible proclamation of the reconciling work of Christ. I am not afraid to share my stuff with you because Jesus has rescued me. And if I have this stuff, you probably have the same stuff too. Uh Uh-huh. A healing community provides a place where people carry each other's burdens. We carry each other's burdens. Tuesday morning, 25 men show up carrying each other's burdens. Those five guys are part of Tuesday mornings, carrying each other's burdens. Tuesday night, there's a group. Monday night, there's a group. Wednesday night, there's a group. Thursday night, there's a group. Friday night, there's a group. Sunday night, there's a group. Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday, all these different times, people are meeting in groups, learning to carry each other's burdens. Because we believe that the power of Jesus is going to invade us as we meet and believe what Jesus does. We believe that Jesus has the power to eradicate sickness and pain, physical, spiritual, emotional, and even financial pain. He does that. He does that. He does that. We are granted that same power as we bring each other to Jesus that lived in Jesus and we are invited to allow the healing power to go through us to one another. You have to stop living like a really fancy life 
And you need to start living why you were created. Stop looking the parts. Start living in the role that you were created. That you are part of a community that brings truth, love, and compassion to one another in this broken world. The church is the body of Christ. And when we engage with Jesus together, we allow Christ to be evident in all of us. In all of us. I don't want to go to church. Do I get an aha? I want to be the church. I want to be Acts chapter 2. I want to be Mark chapter 2. Where every single week there are stories of transformation. I look around this room. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I say, remember we prayed for healing for you, 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 for you. And you'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Do we live that way? That's the vision of the plant. Our vision is that we would be a healing community in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Sure, family, come up here. Huh? Come up here. Come up here. Come on. Come on. This is total spontaneous. Like, you didn't text us. You didn't text us. You didn't text us. Boys, do not wrestle. Do not wrestle. I love you. These are my buddies. These two caught the vision 16 years ago. They believe, believed and are believing that this is who we are. They went from two to four. How did that happen? (laughs) Something happened. Because they want their boys, they want their boys to know the healing power of Jesus as well. They want their boys to be part of a community that not only loves them and prays for them, but will carry them to My prayer is that your kids will be here. And my prayer is that their kids will be here. And my prayer is that this church would be a community of healing in such a way that we will be here for decades. You may be seated. Let's give them a hand. I love you guys. Here's my challenge. Why do you go to church? Why do you need to go to church? And are you ready to start being the church? That's my challenge. Do you know how risky this is every Sunday I do these big challenges? People don't come back. Do you know what that does to my ego? No, I'm dead serious. I mean, if you want to just see fully transparent, some Sundays, I'm wrecked. Some Sundays, I am so shot because I give such a big charge, and I'm just like, I just blew the church up. And she's like, you did it to yourself. We're going to do this together. It's what the Holy Spirit put on you. So trust it. Trust it. 
Steve Jobs, Les Paul, has nothing on the kingdom of God. Nothing. And I will once again risk people not coming back to saying, this is our vision. So let me ask you a bigger question. Orthopraxy. Who needs a healing? Who needs to be prayed for? I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I ain't going to do this. Come on, let's Miyagi-san. We ain't doing no Miyagi-san this morning. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. If you need healing, stand up. Put your ego aside. Stand up. Let me ask you another question. Who is someone that you know that needs a healing? Stand up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to find people standing. And I want you to either get in groups of four or five, or if someone's by themselves, I want you to go lay your hands on them. And I want you to ask, what are you asking Jesus to do? Be specific. And let's practice this morning being a healing community. So if you need prayer, raise your hand and let's circle around and let's practice being a healing community now. And here is what I am believing. And here's what I'm praying. That the Holy Spirit is going to do the healing power of Jesus right now. Let's pray. And we are going to worship together. Pray during worship. Let's do it. Come on, practice. Lay your hands on their shoulders. Ask what they need prayer for. And let's pray. Emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, even financial healing. What do you need healing for? Let's pray. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.